Hello again. We're back for another instalment of There Are Little Kingdoms, the collection of short stories by Irish author Kevin Barry. Um, the copy that I have was given to me um, by my sister, and it's beautiful. It's green um, on the front and back cover, and it has this lovely sort of dainty yellow spine. Um, so we're going to read the second story in the collection, and um, it's called To the Hills. I think it's a little bit shorter, um, and from memory it's, it's a little bit quirky. Um, so settle in. Um. <clears throat> and, and so we begin. The way it is in this country, he said, someone sees you out walking a hill and you're a fucking idiot, just because you're not in the pub or in front of the television watching crap. I will tell you one thing, Teresa. I'd rather be walking the hills than listening to some of the fuckers around this place. Teresa nodded, sighed, mewed. It was a good old hike today, he said. You kept up well, the two of you. You found the North Faces did the job? Yes, well, what did I tell you? The North Face is an excellent boot. A good boot is something... It's worth your while you spend a few quid on. There is no point cutting yourself with cheap boots, Teresa. The Gore-Tex is an outstanding material. We know that. Anybody can tell you that. Reliable. I wouldn't be caught dead with anything else. You found the dried fruit a help? Good. It beats a Mars bar, you know. With the dried fruit and the nuts you see, it's a slow release of energy that you get. Just what you need at the tail end of a grade five. He had furious eyebrows perched up top of a dismal nose. He wore a helmet of sandy, wiry hair. He was the guts of six foot. Well, Teresa, he said, this is Wicklow, this is March. What were you expecting exactly? This isn't the canaries we're talking about. Anyway, you don't feel it with the fleece on you. From the way you were going on, the two of you, I thought you were well used to the hills. Ha! This is what I was led to believe, Teresa. They had met at the Hill Walking Club in Dublin that winter. The club put leaflets in outdoorsy shops and sometimes a small ad in the paper. It met Tuesdays year-round at a well-lit suburb lounge bar, all welcome. It was mostly country people that showed up, and most of them <laughs> were past the first flush. There would be two hours of shy talk over stretched drinks. Truth be told, Teresa and her friend Marie didn't have that much of an interest in hills, but they had an interest in healthy men, and Brian seemed steady. He had a good job in the labs on the campus. He didn't drink much. He was tall and slim. He wouldn't have figured himself for a catch, but there you go. I suppose you could say that I'm not great with people, Teresa, he said. I'll be straight with you now. Women have always been difficult for me. It's a long time since I've been in a relationship of any kind, which is a word I hate, by the way. The people at work were having a drink or two at lunchtime. What have you? It's my relationship this, my relationship that, blah, blah, blah. Another one is partner. Jesus, I hate that word. My partner this, my partner that. You can bring your partner. Do you have a partner? Fuck off. Do you know what I'm saying to you? Fuck off. <laughs> partner. I don't know. It makes it sound like a badminton team. 
They were, they were naked together in bed, having not had sex. I'll be perfectly straight with you, Teresa. Why shouldn't I be? I haven't been with a woman for 14 years. Drought isn't the word, Teresa. You'll be getting worried now, of course. You'll be thinking, what's with your man? But no, don't. Listen, please. This is an absolutely amazing thing for me. It's like I don't know what's going on. Just to be lying here with you is unbelievable to me. The plan had been, park in Wicklow Town, walk the grade 5 to Tobar Pass, a bite to eat, a few drinks, stay the night at an Airbnb, walk back the next morning. They had booked three rooms. This had been complicated. Brian obviously was going to have a room to himself. But what were the girls going to do? If they shared a room, it meant they were marking each other for the night, and what if something happened? They booked a room each. We might as well get a room each, they said. It's cheap. This was an unspoken declaration of combat. Two channels had thus opened up for Brian, though he was not at all sure that this was the case. The B&B was run by a tiny woman who conversed in the small hours of the night, every night, with an aunt dead twenty years. In the afternoon, when they got in, she put on her glasses and with a show of great ritual, opened her bookings ledger. The bookings ledger gave her a tingling pleasure. It made her feel giddy and playful. When she opened the ledger, ledger she was like a cat with a ball of twine. She asked Marie and Teresa were they sure they didn't want to share a room. She had a fine double outback. It would be cheaper. The girls glared at her. They said, no, thank you, no. We'll take the two. Brian flushed. More money than sense, he said. Crazy, said the tiny woman. They went to their rooms, and each was glad of a short reprieve from company. These were single people, in their forties. Each of them had lived alone for many years, and such a long morning of company was a trial. <laughs> the rooms were pretty much identical. Each had a narrow bed with a lumpy mattress. Each had a wardrobe, a dresser, a tumbler, a cup and saucer, a kettle and tea bags, sachets of Bewley's coffee that had lain there since the previous millennium. Each room had an ensuite bathroom that had been haphazardly plastered by the tiny woman's middle-aged nephew, a man who had savage dependency on drink, an addiction to cough bottles and a sullen thyroid glare. Mari's view was of a galvanised tin roof on a shed at the back of the house. She sat on the bed and stared at the green wallpaper. The wallpaper showed a jungle scene. It was green for calm. She could hear the running shower in Teresa's room next door. Watch that bitch like a hawk, she said to herself. If you were to ask me what it all goes back to, Teresa said Brian. If you were to put me on the couch and say, well now... Where does it all go back to? Tell me about your childhood, all that crap. Okay, fine, it's obviously all rooted down there. Is that right? said Teresa. My father died suddenly, he said, when I was eight years of age. Yeah, I know, boo-hoo. But the way of it was the worst thing. It was shockingly sudden. A brain hemorrhage. We were on holidays. We were at the beach. Yeah, one minute he's lying there in his togs. The next he's lying there dead. My brother and myself were playing in the dunes. Uh, were you ever in Lachinch, Teresa? Unbelievable dunes. And there we are rolling along the sand, pretending to be Buck Rogers on the moon, or what have you. 
And after a while we said we'll go back to mum and dad for the coke and crisps, you know. And when we go back, she's kneeling in the sand, bawling. She's going, John, oh John, John. My father is lying there on the towel with blood all over his neck. An amount of blood you would not believe. Did you know that, he said. Did you know, Teresa, that blood actually comes out of the ears? Go away, said Teresa. Actually, my most vivid memory isn't the beach, but going back to Sligo the next day. My brother and myself, we were in shock, I suppose, but innocent. All we could talk about when they were putting him in the hearse in La Hinch is how long is a hearse going to take to get to Sligo. We worked it out. If a hearse goes five miles an hour and Sligo is a hundred miles away, that's 20 hours. It never dawned on us that the hearse would go at a normal speed until we got him home. We thought it was a funeral pace all the way through Clare and Galway. And this is the bit I remember vividly. Isn't that strange? We're in the car, behind the hearse, with my mother up to the gills on tablets. She's cruising, and my uncle's driving, and your man is driving the hearse in front of us, through Clare, and he must be doing 70. And all I can remember is the coffin bouncing around the back of the hearse and thinking, Ah, Jesus, that can't be right, like... A few days later, myself and the brother are kicking a ball again, Teresa. We're children. We're Buck Rogers. And you get on with being a child. You do. But are you going to come out of it right? After the morning's long walk, after they reached Tobar Pass, they went to a pub for lunch. Soup, toasties, cups of coffee. The pub was rich on hill walkers and had lately been refitted. A brand new coffee machine gurgled like an excited aunt. The lunchtime rush was just about done and the slow hours of the afternoon yawned and presented themselves with a certain belligerence. Those who go mad go mad first in the afternoons. There was the usual fallout of daytime drinkers, glassy-eyed, with their hearty talk and guilty-seeming cheer. A silence had fallen in on the three hill walkers. It was a knuckly and mannish grip. Well, said Brian at last, I don't know about yourselves but I'm going to go out there and get the last of that daylight into me. Don't tell me you're walking again, said Marie, who was out of puff still from the morning's exertion. She was a pretty but dour woman, with eyes full of dread and rain. Why wouldn't I, he said. Aren't we dead long enough? Oh, Jesus, said Marie, the legs are hanging off me. Are you watching the calves? I have a pair of calves on me like an Olympic sprinter. Ah, now. They're having a great day in the graveyard, said Teresa. Exactly so, said Brian. You might as well take it while it's going. We can just circle back and around as far as the uh, Draminadra, then back down into the village. Come on, Marie, for God's sake, it'll do you good. Oh, look, I don't know, she said. I might just go back and rest a bit. I don't know. You're putting me to shame. Marie, come on, said Brian. We'll see you later on, so, said Teresa. Okay. So not only did the two of them go for a walk, and a walk for another three hours, but then they spent another hour in the pub, drinking Smithwicks, and Marie sat in her room looking at the jungle wallpaper. She went to pee in the ensuite, and as she sat there, a cloud of plaster dreamily descended and settled on her head. It was eight o'clock, eight when they arrived back at the B&B. &B. She tried to make light of it. She honestly tried. I thought the, tea, the two of you were dead, 
in a bog someplace. I thought we were going to have to get the mountain rescue out. Oh, stop, said Brian, flushed. It was hard to make light of it. There was something not far from hatred in her eyes. The three of them went for steaks in the restaurant at the back of the pub. Marie was thinking, am I after letting myself get beat very easily here? Teresa was thinking, she's much prettier than I am. She always has been. Am I only fooling myself? Brian was thinking, <clears throat> all they go on about in the women's magazines these days is sexual performance. <laughs> I'd nearly take the whole cow onto the plate, said Brian. I wouldn't put it past you, said Marie, who had looked after half a bottle of decent Rioja in seven minutes flat. It's great to see an appetite, said Teresa. Very quick and smirky in herself, thought Marie. What went on on that walk? What had gone down on the walk was that Brian had talked sense to himself. Marie, he decided, was too good looking for him. He wouldn't have a hope in hell. Teresa, on the other hand, was at the back of the line when chins were being handed out and she had the eyes of the crow. Surely this might play to his advantage. Brian was versed in the cruel wiles of animal selection. He knew that the better-looking animal was the obvious choice, but natural selection is quickly ignored when you've passed 40 and you're masturbating into a sock the grey mornings in a one-bedroom apartment, a lounge diner-come-kitchen. And so it was that Brian and Teresa managed a semblance of flirtatiousness on the way back to the village. God, Brian, we're after getting some bit of fresh air into us today, said Teresa. You'd nearly be driven wild with it, said Brian. This, by his normal standard, by the norm, by the normal old go of him, was richly provocative stuff. <laughs> and suddenly she seemed to be walking very close. Her arm was touching off of his, and just the slight rubber slap of Gore-Tex on Gore-Tex was enough to make him excited. Is that all it takes, he thought. The one ruby moment. Some steak, said Byron. It's great, said Teresa. It's done just right. He can't top well-hung meat, said Marie, who was making shapes on her plate with fried onions. Waitress, another bottle of that, please. Partying tonight, ma, said Therese. Why the fuck not, said Marie. Has anyone changed for the fag machine? I didn't know you smoked, Marie, said Brian. Many hidden talents, she said. He sneaked a glance at Teresa then, who made a certain face which said, Kid gloves here, pet. We'll let her down easy. Brian was already becoming literate in Teresa's crow-like glances. After the stakes, there was another painful hour in the pub. It was slow beer for Teresa and Brian. It was fast vodka for Marie. Teresa and Brian prepped each other carefully for the long, opulent night that lay ahead. Back at the St. Ignatius of Loyola B&B, &B, they said goodnight, so see you in the morning, bright and early. Bryant went left for number nine. Teresa and Marie went right for six and seven. Drink a glass of water when you go in, Ma, said Teresa. Fuck off and rot, said Marie. Half an hour later, Marie heard Teresa leave her room. She did not hear her come back again. She sat there with the light on. She felt headachy. She stood up on the bed and took the battery out of the smoke detector, lay down again, smoked fags. First bus, she said it out loud. She looked at the jungle scene on the wallpaper, probably someplace like Mozambique, she thought. A nonsense jingle from an advert went through her head. Mbongo. They drink it in the Congo. 
You don't mind if we wait a little while, do you? He said. Thanks, love. It's just that all this is very sudden for me, you know. But you are, you can tell I'm pleased to be here with you anyway, can't you? There's no denying that. There isn't, said Teresa coyly. Teresa decided that she was having a terrific time. This intimacy, she felt, was powerful stuff. Yes, she was greatly enjoying the whole experience, but she would enjoy it all the more when she was at home on her couch, alone except for the cat, with the lights dimmed and a glass full to the brim and the late program on Lyric playing low on the radio. Then she would truly savour it all. In the kitchen, there was the sound of a kettle coming to the boil, of tea being made, of a pair of slippered feet crossing the polished liner. I'm thinking of painting the walls blue, Minnie, she said. Oh, said the tiny woman. What do you think, Minnie? A blue? Listen, Teresa, said Brian. I'm totally prepared to give us another go. I have no problem whatsoever getting back up on the horse. Look it. Will you come here to me? Oh, this is magic. So, yeah, that was To the Hills. Like I said, it's a short one. Um, but, yeah... I like the idea that um, maybe it's about three people who are a little bit set in their ways, but trying to be brave and do something different. Um, I don't think I've been on any hikes in Ireland, and I've never really been to the true west coast. I've never been to Galway or Sligo or Clare. Um, but I've done a I've done a little bit of a walk in Wicklow, which is in the southeast, or south, I guess. Um, and it was very pleasant. I don't know what the country's like in the west, though. It'd be nice to go one day. Well, hope you enjoy the rest of the day, whatever it is that you might be doing. And we'll catch you next time.